I'm sorry, sometimes that's the first time I see those, those little bumps in their layers. Well, welcome. If you're watching online, I'm uh, Pastor Doug, and we're going to be digging into a brand new series called Fresh Start. Uh, I want to welcome you to Roundup Sunday. All of you, uh, you might be serving later, and so you came to first service, or if you are visiting for the first time, we'd love for you to just come back and uh, hang out with us, and we'll have a really great time. Also, uh, if you're watching online for the first time, and you didn't get into a plane and fly up here for Roundup, that's okay. We want you to know, though, uh, what our church is about, and our church is about helping you grow your faith. And that's why the First Steps course is, that it's a brand new thing we're rolling out, is to help you grow your faith. So it's all about how you discover your relationship with God and then take steps in order to grow that so you won't want to miss that. Now, our series is basically... We're going to dig into guilt, and we're just asking the whole question, you know, what in the world is up with guilt? Now, I told a story of a young woman named Jennifer about four or five months ago, and uh, Jennifer has a very interesting story. She grew up in a Christian home, and she went to a private Christian school, but the summer before her senior year, she got pregnant. And so she was a teen mom and she went to school that fall. And then in the spring, they had her kind of finish school uh, in an online way. She gave birth to the baby and then they gave the baby up for adoption. Her family didn't really talk a lot about it. They were just like, okay, we're going to resolve this and move on. Uh, she had scholarships to university. So she ended up after she gave the baby up for adoption, she went to university. She ended up uh, graduating four years later with honors, top, top of her class. And so she went to graduate school. While she was in graduate school, she met Bud. And Bud was a grad student as well. They started dating for a couple years. They graduate, they get married. And then about oh, probably three or four years into their marriage, he says, I think it's time we start a family. I'd really like to do that. And she was dreading this moment because to that point, she'd never told him about what happened in high school. And so she said, well, I, I have this dark secret that I need to tell you. And he said, okay, well, what is it? So she tells him what happened in high school. And what's interesting is at first he was kind of just shocked. He's like, well, that just seems out of character for you. But his response was, that's okay. You know, uh, I forgive you. God's forgiven you. We're just going to move forward. Let's start a family. We can do all this. Well, she was unable to receive this acceptance from him, right? And so it started creating some issues. So they start going to counseling and she is unable to deal with it. And the closer she gets to 30, the more it just really weighs on her. So she ends up divorcing him. So what's the moral of that story? Well, the moral of the story is unresolved guilt in a person's life is really bad. It has a bad effect on all kinds of things. It's kind of like uh, burying toxic waste in your backyard. It seeps into your water supply, and then you end up growing a third eyeball out the back of your head, you know, or a horn on your foot. You're like, where'd that come from, you know? Or why do I have this reflexive response to all these situations? Why am I hairpin, uh, a hairpin trigger when it comes to anger? Why is that? Well, that's why it's almost always revolves around unresolved unresol guilt. 
Now, in, in our own community, what we want to do is we thought, hey, let's ask people some of the things that they feel guilty about. And people are like, well, will, will we be anonymous? <laughs> Say, well, your face will be on the screen. <laughs> so, that, so we didn't get any responses for that. Um, uh, n- nobody wanted to volunteer for that ministry. I'm kind of surprised. But, uh, but we found a workaround, and so uh, I wanted to show you some video confessions of things that people feel guilt about, even in our own community of faith. This person said that they feel guilty about being too prideful. This person feels really guilty about their problems with drugs and the addictions that follow it. Every time they miss an opportunity to bring someone closer to Jesus. This person feels guilty about not spending time with their kids while they were still young. Not spending enough time with God during high school. This person feels guilty about having a temper. For gossiping about others. Not being intentional with people. About not fully loving or forgiving others. Not spending enough time with a friend before he died. Pranking one of their friends, and then that certain friend didn't think it was very funny. This person feels guilty about their fleshly desires and giving in to worldly things. So that just gives you an idea of some of the things that, you know, just in our own community faith that people are kind of dealing with. And I just wanted to kind of talk in general real quick about guilt and its impact on us. Human beings deal with lots and lots of guilt. The average person experiences over five hours of guilt every single week. And that's just the average person. Now, you may be above average, and we laud your overachievement there. Um, uh, Codependency, I don't know if you under, uh, which today is called more like toxic or unhealthy relationships, is uh, the primary control problem in codependency is guilt. That's the thing that motivates people to continue in toxic patterns or codependent patterns in relationships. Uh, The entire addiction cycle is driven by guilt, whether it be alcohol or drugs or prescription drugs or gambling or pornography or anything. Addiction cycle is driven by guilt. It's the main fuel in it. Uh, we feel guilty when we do something wrong and we feel guilty when we don't do something we think we should. Isn't that interesting? You feel guilty when you do something and you feel guilty when you don't do something. We feel guilty, uh, when we make a mistake or when we don't live up to our own expectations. Uh, we feel guilty when we don't live up to somebody else's expectations. We feel guilty when we let people down. We feel guilty when we think we don't measure up. This is really an interesting part of guilt is that we feel guilty when we feel like, well, I'm not enough. I'm not adequate. I, I, I don't fit. And so I'd like to ask a simple question. Where in the world does guilt come from? Why, why do we experience guilt? What exactly is guilt? Uh, another way to phrase this is, you know, why do I feel guilty all the time? Well, guilt is really interesting. And uh, research says, and is pointed out over time, and I think it's uh, uh, worth believing, is that guilt is an emotional response to a mental belief that some moral code has been violated. Either your own personal code or a universal or objective code. So what does that tell us? That human beings are moral beings. We are moral 
creatures, which, by the way, on a side note, is one of the primary non-religious ways in which you prove the existence of God, right? Because the notion that you're a moral being uh, is probably one of the biggest struggles that people have today in trying to figure out why did human beings evolve a morality that's a part of who they are. It's really interesting that way. But back to our discussion, and that is, is that we develop a conscience. And it's our conscience that when we violate our conscience, we experience guilt. And so the question is, how is a conscience formed? Where does it come from? Oftentimes, what research says, it starts to develop around two and a half years old. And it's usually finished forming between four and a half to five years of age. So guilt is an emotional response. You can't take a thermometer and stick it to your arm and it tells you how hot your guilt is running. There's no meter that says, oh, your guilt cup's a little full today. There's no external way to measure guilt because it's a completely emotional response. And yet it has such a powerful impact on you, right? It drives behavior. It can take away your appetite or it can increase your appetite. I mean, the, the physiological ramifications of guilt are overwhelming and yet it's purely an emotional response. Now, what I find really interesting, too, is in our society today, uh, our society in America is completely, in my opinion, and unequivocally focused on resolving and getting rid of guilt. Everything that we do and read about, most everything that is, is pursued is a way in which we can resolve our guilt. Let me make my case. Number one. We self-medicate. Anybody who's ever talked to a therapist or anybody who's ever talked to a counselor or heard, read a book and stuff, they know the concept of self-medication. Alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs, uh, addictions, all of these things uh, are between 25 and 35% of the adult population that deals with those things. That's pretty significant, right? You also look at counseling. Counseling is a $25 billion a year uh, industry. Uh, we send people to counselors all the time, even though the efficacy rate of helping people get 100% healthy is less than 30%, just by the way. Number three, our society is very, very big about denial. Like the media really picks up on this messaging a lot, and that is, well, there's nothing to feel guilty about. You shouldn't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad about yourself. You're a good person. You know, you're good. You're good. Don't feel guilty. Unfortunately, this never works because they keep saying that and doing that. Uh, another way that our society tries to get you to deny that you, that you have guilt is by saying, well, guess what? Everybody else does it. You know, everybody else does it. Or we start to compare ourselves in that, well, these people are worse than us. You know, well, they're really bad. I'm not that bad, so I'm okay. Another way that our society tries to deal with guilt, and this is becoming much more popular in university campuses and philosophy departments today, is that you simply remove the standard. Like if I feel guilty because there's a subjective standard, well, then what we do is we start to propagate and train kids really, really young and say there is no objective moral standard. This is called moral relativism. 
It's very popular in our society today. Uh, we have what is called a postmodern deconstructionist society, and it's a way that people are taught. And they're taught that there is no objective truth, there's no objective moral standard. It's whatever your story is, whatever your truth is, whatever your belief is. And if you feel guilty, then that means you need to change your, your, uh, your standard because you're just doing that to yourself. So our society's really big on that. Uh, here's another really big one that is probably most popular and that uh, I think this is the top popular way to deal with guilt. And it's called rationalization. And this is, comes out in this form. And that is, well, I don't want to feel guilty, so I spend my time thinking about all of the bad things from my perspective that people have done to me. I was cheated. I was cheated on. I was lied to. I was misled. I was taken advantage of. I was traumatized. I was, and you just fill in the blank. This is often known as victimization. If I feel like a victim then I don't have any time to feel what? Guilty. Because I spend my time thinking about all the wrongs that were done to me. Now, most people don't realize that this is an emotional reflex, feeling like a victim, that is also often is developed in our formative years. Like we said before, between about two and a half to three years old is when it starts. It's pretty much done around five. And so, for instance, when a, a person, like a woman in her 30s, let's say, maybe her early 40s, she feels like she doesn't measure up, right? So she feels guilty. She feels like, well, I'm not enough. And I don't measure up. I'm not, you know, whatever. That I don't feel pretty enough, or I'm not funny enough, or I'm not disciplined enough, or I'm not this enough, or I'm not... I mean, our society tells women all the time that you are never enough, right? And so it's like, uh, how can I ever measure up to any and all of that? Well, the very sense that you don't measure up is actually a form of guilt. Because it's a comparison of, it's an emotional response to a standard that you can't meet. Therefore, there is an emotional reflex within her to find a reason why she feels guilty. And since guilt is an association emotion due to the fact that it originates in the conscience... She reflexively then looks for reasons why she's so unhappy. And almost always, it's her husband. <laughs> Did you like that joke? I thought that was kind of funny. No, I mean, sometimes it's a man. It's, it's her husband. It's her lack of husband. It's her job. It's her friends. It's her clothes. It's her... See, that's it. Now, now guys, they, what they do is they deal with this emotional reflex of guilt in a different way. And often that comes out in, in like an outburst of anger, right? You know, guys are, guys are just like, you know, go, go punch something. So they, they tend to do that. But what ends up happening is that everybody, because of guilt, is dealing with some of the things our society, that the experts tell us is the biggest issue facing most Americans today, is anxiety and depression a lack of peace and aimlessness. The final way that some people try to deal with guilt in our society is we, we're moral accountants. And so we walk around and we say, hey, you know, I'm a good person, right? And we diminish the bad things we've done and we do what? Well, I'm really a good person because I do this, you know, I'm, I sponsor a kid in Africa and, you know, I always, I'm a good person, you know? Sadly enough, Moral accounting is just simply creating a new religion. I'm trying to make myself feel better, get rid of my guilt, 
through good deeds, i.e. religion. <laughs> I'm making up my own religion. Whatever I think based on my conscience is a good deed. I'll do more of that, less of the stuff that I think is bad, and therefore I'm okay. Now, our society is experiencing so much guilt right now. It's the top thing that people are having to work through and dig through for one simple reason. And this is my contention throughout this entire series. The reason why our society is so focused on getting rid of guilt and is experiencing so much more guilt than it ever has, and you have all this unresolved guilt running around, and people are not joyful, people are not happy, people are not at peace, people are not focused, people are weighed down with their mistakes and their failures, they're overwhelmed with regret of how they have lived their lives for one simple reason, and that is because our society has abandoned the Christian understanding of how guilt is resolved. That's why. We have left God and we've created our own approach to guilt and how to resolve it. And guess what's happened? We have a boatload more of guilt now than we've ever had in our society because we've abandoned the whole notion of it. And I am sad to say that most of the culture in America has no understanding of how salvation works. When, you know, people go around and says, Jesus saved, you know, Jesus saved me. You go, well, saved you from what? See, most people in our society, if you were to ask them on a census report, say, are you a Christian? Yeah. Why? Well, because I celebrate Christmas. I believe Jesus was a baby. And... I like apple pie, you know? I mean, the, the, the perfect parody of this, which I do not recommend this movie, was, uh, you know, the comedian Will Smith, you know? I love him in Elf, but uh, not Will Smith, but who? Will Ferrell. Man, there's too many Wills going on around here. See? Now, naturally, if, if I wasn't in church, I'd have to feel guilty about that mistake. But I just want you to know, I don't. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to roll with it, right? Will Ferrell, he has this thing about where he's a racer. You know, he's a NASCAR racer, and it's a parody of that. And, and they always pray to baby Jesus, you know. They, they, they love baby Jesus. And he just parodies this religious notion. And some people who are Christians look at that and go, oh, I'm offended. And I look at that, and I go, man, there's a whole lot of truth to that parody. Because many people in our society who think they're Christians have no idea what salvation is, the essence of it. And one of the most important essences of, of what it means to be saved by God is to be set free. And when you are set free, what are you set free from? See, that is the powerful question. And many churches today, sadly enough, do not teach the essence of Christian salvation. And that's not a good thing. When you go to church, you go, well, here are the five steps to be happy. Well, I'll tell you what. You could take one of those steps. They will psychologically make you feel a little bit better about yourself for a short period of time. But ultimately, until you have an encounter with the living God and understand the power of his saving grace in your life, then you can never do the thing that all of us so desperately need. And that is resolve the guilt that plagues us and traps us. Now, some of you have been a uh, part of the church over this whole year. Uh, some of you have been coming here for many, many years, decades and so forth. 
And you know that this year is our, our main theme for the entire year is the kingdom of God. So you might be asking yourself, what is, you know, digging into guilt have to do with the kingdom of God? Well, let me connect these dots for you right now. Once you have been saved by Christ and you've been invited by him to live in God's kingdom, even though you're still living here on earth, the question is, what does Jesus do to you now? What's he doing to you as you walk with him? Classic Orthodox Christianity calls this the doctrine of sanctification. Okay. And this is God's will. Once you come to know him, this is God's will for your life that you are sanctified. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to get, begin with verse 3, and I want you to notice where sanctification pops up a bunch as Paul is writing the Thessalonians, okay? And notice how he starts verse 3. He starts off in saying, this is God's will. It is God's will. So this is his intent. This is his purpose. This is what he's working towards in your life right now. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of another brother or sister. So it's not just in the sexual realm. Now he's talking about just in the daily way you are living. Don't take advantage, particularly of your Christian brothers and sisters. And notice what he says. Pagans are trying to resolve all of these issues in their life on their own way. They don't know God, so they're coming up with their own ideas, and it's simply not working. He goes, the Lord will punish those who commit such sins, um, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, the one who rejects this is not rejecting men, but you are rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Notice what he's saying is that when you become a follower of Christ, God gives you a deposit of the Holy Spirit, he says in Ephesians chapter 1. And so uh, another place he calls it the kiss of the Holy Spirit. Another place is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you receive God's divine presence in your life, the Holy Spirit, right? And that Holy Spirit is to will and to work according to God's good pleasure in your life. And so what is that process called? That process is called sanctification. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, the actual Greek word sanctification means set apart for a useful work. Set apart for a useful work. So uh, I was out in uh, the garage a while back. My youngest son is into cars. If you ever see him on Instagram or anything else, what you do is you see a cacophony of pictures and videos of a car, right? And so it's been an adjustment for me as a father because growing up, whenever I got a vehicle, the only goal that I ever had for my vehicle, particularly trucks, was to see how high I could get it off the ground right? If I could get a four inch lift on my truck, I was, I was jazzed. I mean, oh, they got a new lift kit. I got to get higher. I got to, why do you want to get it? Well, I don't want to get stuck in something. You know, I need, I want to get over stuff. You know, I want to be able to drive over that median that they put so you can't turn left into the villages, right? I want to be able to do that if I so need to at any given point, you know, I'm not going to be contained by roads. 
curbs I am not afraid of because I have a four inch lift on my pickup truck. Right? And so my son comes along, and this just shows you how uh, your kids are sometimes an opposite reflection of you. And his whole goal in life is to see how low to the ground he can get his car. (laughs) Dad, I can't even get a credit card under it. Isn't that amazing? He drives down the street. You know what it sounds like? My truck, I was always like, that's the sound I like. When he drives down the street, you know what it is? Of his muffler dragging along the asphalt. I went to my son, I said, I said, son, you're destroying it, you know? I mean, we've already placed three sections of his muffler, that pipe down there. He goes, dad, it's no big deal. They're only 50 bucks and it's so cool. <laughs> okay, so we're out working on his car, right? And we're working on this car and I'm like, well, what are we doing here? He's got a, he, uh, you know, I'm so impressed with, with no mechanical background. He's gone out there, he's, he's learned how to do this on his own. He calls buddies over and they have, he's totally replaced the muffler entire system three times. He took out the suspension and he put coilovers on it. And then he took those out and he put bags on it. So now it can raise and lower with air. You know, he put a compressor in the trunk. He did all this kind of stuff. And then we wrapped his car and then he redid the interior. I mean, he's done all this stuff. He's done all of these things to get this car to do one thing. And that is drive down the street and ride as low as it possibly can. It has one purpose because I would never use that car to go to the store to buy something because I cannot get out of the car once I get into it. You know, it's like, uh, son, get out. You know, I, I mean, it is so low on the ground right? I put my feet out at the door and he has to walk around and grab my hand and pull me out of the car. Otherwise I'm doing the jujitsu stand, you know, where you roll over onto all fours and you, I, okay. I'm getting a little past that in my life right now. He has one purpose. What about your life? If it was designed and worked on and worked on and worked on for just one purpose, what is that one purpose? You see, the idea of sanctification is purpose. Your life has a purpose, and God is working to will and to work according to his good pleasure. What's his good pleasure? That you be sanctified, meaning you're set apart for your purpose. Uh, a movie that I really enjoy, even though I am not a golfer, uh, a lot of people are golfers. They love golf. Uh, they enjoy it. But is the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance. And it's about this guy, Captain Juna, played by Matt. Uh, who, who plays that? I think it's Matt Damon. And he, he's in this, and he goes to World War I, and he's traumatized by all the horrors he sees there. He comes back, and then he just loses his life. But before he left, he was a really great golfer. And so what happens is this caddy, played by Will Smith. That's why he probably got Smith and Farrell mixed up. But Will Smith comes up, he's a caddy, and his name is Bagger Vance. And his goal is to help him discover his authentic swing. And he says, all of us have an authentic swing within us, but it gets lost with all the shoulda, woulda, couldas, all the mistakes and the failures and the bad habits. And he basically says, can, can Captain Juna win the tournament? Bagger Vance says, if he discovers his authentic swing. 
You know, what a great story, a parable to what's happening in our lives is that we are discovering through the process of our sanctification, our authentic swing. That's the point. Is the will of Jesus in your life is about the authentic you. And you know the biggest thing that stops you from being the authentic you? Do you know the biggest thing that hinders you from walking in the fullness of of what you feel you or think or know you could be? Do you know what it is that stops you from not taking basic steps that you know would help you grow into the you you desire and feel God calling you to be? It's guilt. 100% it is guilt. It's our guilt that is held over our heads, that is unresolved, that stops us. So how do we get started? Well, that's what this series is all about, okay? The series is all about how to think about guilt and its effect on me in ways I've never even imagined before. So it's not for those who want fluff. It's not those who want shallow faith. It's for people who are saying, it's time I got deeper in my faith because I want to walk in a new way that I may have never experienced before. Whether you are 18 years old or 82 years old, it doesn't matter. It's at any time, any place to dig a little bit deeper and learn something new. And that is the first thing you have to do is you have to evaluate your relationship with guilt. You have to think deeply about it. I put a tool of seven questions to ask yourself on the message notes, which are on our phone app. I believe later on they're posted on the website. You can go on and use that. Uh, There's some other tools that, you know, we can throw out there for you to use. But the biggest thing is ask yourself, how often do I feel guilty? How often in your own private time? How often do I feel guilty? How does guilt impact me? How often do I feel I don't measure up? that internal thing in my brain that talks to me, what does it say? When I'm not, when I don't feel valued or I don't feel at peace or I feel angry or I, what is this thing in my head, this tape that plays, what's it saying? Write it down. You have to evaluate yourself. You have to dig into it just a little bit. And the other thing you have to do is you have to be willing to seek truthfulness. Okay, you know, it's really interesting is that our society misquotes Jesus all the time. And now it's getting to the point of hilarity. And that is, you know, people are always like, you know, well, the truth will set you free. And they say that like, well, the truth will set you free because you're going to learn some fact, right? Oh, that conspiracy of the government's real. You know, I learned a fact, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. In John chapter 8, verse 31, I want to read you the context of what he says, because this is critically important. Notice what he says. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue, right, this is very important. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Verse 32 goes on to say the following, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. See, I love the way they try. It doesn't set you free. It makes you free. All right. Oh, okay. Um, so how is it making me free? Verse 33 says this. 
They answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And then look at verse 34. He says the following. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. See what he's saying? He said, I have a path, my word, and if you walk in my path, that makes you free. And they, of course, say, well, we've never been enslaved to anybody. And he goes, oh, yes, you have been your whole life. It's called sin. And guess what guilt in your life feeds off of? Guess what the, the gas in the nitrous oxide to give you the extra boost in your engine? It's for guilt is sin. You see, guilt feeds off of sin. And why did Jesus come to save you? He saved you from the what? The sting of sin and death. Because guilt is always death. It kills everything. It kills your relationships. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your future marriage. It'll kill your faith. It will kill your uh, perception of yourself. It'll kill your joy. I mean, guilt because of sin always destroys. And that's what Christ came to set you free from. So the only way to truly resolve your guilt, the only way to be free of guilt is to know Jesus. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we just thank you for an opportunity to celebrate coming together, eat some good steak, and dig into the thing, God, that hinders us from becoming who you've truly called us to be. Amen. God bless you guys and have a great Roundup Sunday. Woohoo!